And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. What is going on, everybody? Happy holidays. This is the Hold That Podcast podcast. I'm your host, T-Bob Bear. I host a radio show called Off the Bench. I am joined, as I am every week, by the Athletics' Brody Miller. Brody, what's up, dude? Oh, man, we are. Uh, we made it through. We did it. We made it through this long, strenuous, tumultuous season. We made it to the other side. So I'm, in some ways, doing all right, man. How about you? Yeah, on this Monday, December 21st, uh, we are officially at the end of the LSU football season, a season that ends on a high note, 5-5. Five and five. Avoiding the first losing season since 1999. Top 10 win in Florida, a nice signing class, and a 53-48 win against Ole Miss. And Lane Kiffin to cap things off. We will talk all about that game uh, because it was, you know, LSU, the next generation, put, uh, put on the television. But before that, it is Monday and coaching rumors and whatnot are swirling. Um, though we do not know what's true or not, but we will discuss what the current conversation is as it stands right now. So Brody, before we get into the game on this Monday, uh, what is the local chatter about the LSU coaching staff? Yeah, God, I mean, we, it's like almost what we've all been expecting for what literally three whole months, you know, ever since that Mississippi state game, but it's actually here now and it's happening rather quickly. I mean, they, uh, let's. I'll say it blankly. I mean, expect there to be pretty heavy staff changes. I mean, again, you know, we're, I'm not at a point where I'm going to come out and report things as fact yet, but I, I think if, I don't think it's a stretch to go ahead and say that everybody expects Bo Pelini to to not return next season, and yeah. uh, that seems like it is it is happening. Officials and you know all those kind of things haven't quite happened yet, but indications are Bo Pelini will not be back, and I expect there to be pretty heavy changes on both sides of the ball. I think. Uh, Again, let's put it this way. I think there might be one or two coaches who stay in place on, you know, one, maybe one coach on defense who stays in place, maybe one coach on offense who stays in place. Uh, I think, you know, I, I think Bill Johnson's the guy that it's not a stretch to say, you know, he kind of came out of retirement to join LSU staff. I don't expect him back next year. I don't, I don't expect, uh, I think Steve Ensminger is going to be a really interesting one to follow offensive coordinator for the last three seasons because, I don't think Steve Ensminger did a bad job at all, but he's obviously somebody who first off every year, there's chatter of like, will he retire and those kind of things. And every year it's, you know, Ed Ogeron kind of sticks by his guy and talks him into coming back. But listen, to be honest, Steve Ensminger's had a lot going on this year. He had his daughter-in-law die, you know, in December, and then his father died a few months ago. It has been a, 
a hell year for Steve Ensbanger on top of everything happening inside this LSU football season. So I wouldn't be, I don't think he's necessarily like leaving, but I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not offensive coordinator next year, take that as you will. So, and you know, I, I think you will see completely new play callers on both sides of the ball. So yeah, I think there's uh, going to be a lot of change next season at LSU, which is what we expected. I guess it's just uh, when it actually happens and then that's this widespread across the staff, it is pretty jarring. Yeah, and uh, it's it's going to be interesting for a few reasons. First off, if you're out there and you are feeling good about how this team finished, you absolutely should be. I mean, I, yeah. I, I you know, uh, emotion, as we always say, is just a function of expectations, and the expectations have been driven so low that some of the gutsy performances that you saw recently um, are to be applauded. They're be, to be commended. That sort of improvement that you saw out of multiple players, out of sides of the ball. Um, it should be applauded, but don't let that overwhelmingly positive emotion run to an unrealistic place. Like don't let the, yeah. the, the kind of shine and the feel good nature of how this thing finished, which I love. Like I absolutely love how this thing finished from a fan perspective, but the mistake here would be then to use that feeling to be like, oh, so nothing's wrong. Like we're moving in the right direction. You are moving in the right <laughs> direction, but there were clearly things that were not working out. And if you're someone who's like, well, the defense approved in COVID, and what if he gets Bo Pelini gets an entire offseason? Just understand LSU's defense for the entire year gave up an average of 7.26 yards per play. 7.26 yards per play, which is uh, an interesting, like it's an interesting number because it just kind of combines everything defensively on a play by play basis. How effective are you being? And in case you have no context for that 7.26 last year, I think you were right at above five and that would have put you around top 25 in the nation this year. 7.26 yards per play is 125th in the country. There's only 127 teams that are ranked. Uh, <laughs> the only teams that are worse than you are Vanderbilt and Akron defensively. So, yes, I love a lot of the young defensive talent and how they stepped up at the end. I loved uh, the turnover to the other guys and, and guys making these sort of game-winning plays. But the core system remained broken, and that has to be addressed, and it sounds like it's going to. So, uh, I, I don't know, Brody, do you have any – names in terms of coordinators that you're interested in i do not yet i've not like gone and looked at potential candidates or anything on my own i think that the main thing i want lsu to address is their hiring philosophies yeah right like i i want to avoid some of the pitfalls that got you into trouble the last couple of times where you have um yeah, where I, it just sounds like you've kind of fallen in love with a guy or fallen in love with a resume without maybe doing the due diligence resume on Canada, maybe the guy on Pelini, and it, it's end up costing you badly, and, and and you've had to go back on some big decisions that you made almost immediately. And and if you're going to make this thing work like long term, long term, the entire setup is predicated on having elite coordinators. So you have to do everything in your power to try not to miss. And that's still very hard. Talent evaluation is always hard. But 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 I mean, can we sit here and say they did everything in their power to vet the Polini hire and make sure that it was the right one? I I, I don't know. It seems like they fell in love with the guy. And at that point, oh look at O oh, oh really wanted him, even though now everybody's trying to say the other guy wanted him, the other guy wanted him. I think O oh really wanted him and you couldn't tell yeah. oh no at the time because he was on such a heater. Now you can get some other voices involved in the search a little bit, maybe have 
a bit more of a process. What do you, what, what do you think you should see out of the hirings? Like out of the yeah, hiring for, process? The first off, there's like so many things I want to touch on what you said there. And it was all great. And it's like, first off, yeah, I want, I want to say, I think they're going to take their time on this. And also I think the caveat I need to throw out there with everything we're talking about, and by the way, this is part of why I'm not even throwing many specifics out there right now is because LSU full disclosure is going to take its time on even the, not coming back part of this the staff changes part of it they're going to take their time on this so that's for a lot of reasons sometimes they they'd rather a guy find a landing spot first you know and and then he goes for that or you know also there's some big recruits making some decisions in about a week or two that they kind of maybe don't want to ruffle things up beforehand i think there's a a lot of reasons so that's kind of just to explain to our listeners like why this is in this weird limbo phase right now it's because of that And, and on top of that i think they're also going to take their time a little bit on some of the replacements. I mean, I think they are actually, you know, one, one source LSU put it this way to me is that, Hey, last year LSU was pretty much coming in at the very end of the cycle to look at coaches, right? You know, Joe Brady and Dave Randall left a week after the national championship or days after. So they were coming in very late this year. That is not the case. First off, I think they have known some of these departures are coming for quite a while Two, um, I think some of the main people they're going for are still coaching in whether it's college or NFL. So I think there's the fact that like, you know, they are going to be like at the front of going for them. You know what I mean? And so I think those things, like, I think they have a, a plan. I will give them that. I think they kind of know defensive coordinators can be fascinating because that is, I, th- I had one like, you know, buddy I talked to, you know, I was talking about it with, uh, and he was saying, he pointed out it was true. He's like, Offensive coordinator, even though it's like the more like impressive position, is kind of easier to find good offensive minds right now, in my opinion. Yeah, it's kind of hard right now to find like a truly, truly good DC. It's really hard. You're right. And the ones who are great ones, maybe they're going to be a head coach in a month. Maybe they're maybe they're already getting paid a lot of money. You know, like it's a little tricky. I think they have they're vetting a lot of guys right now, from what I understand. You know, and I think. You know, for example, I think they were looking at Kane Womack, the guy we it was like a running joke on the show that actually became like a thing. Came real. I, I don't know about you. I, I had so many people in my Twitter mentions being like, You've talked me into Kane Womack. When's yeah. he coming? Yeah, and it was like, like you didn't even you never even like pitched it. And it's like, okay, you convinced me. You convinced me, Brody. Okay, I'm into this we Womack. Put that guy. In the, like the 50 minute mark of a pod like a, two months ago as a joke, like a half joke, and then it's real now. But 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 anyway, but, yeah, but, but, a, but but he is representative of the parameters oh, in terms of like a and being at the cutting edge and growing up in this like four two five sort of era uh compared to more traditional four three yeah yeah so he checked anyway he's the head coach of south alabama now just for those who don't know so he's off the table and you know and then marcus freeman's a guy i've been saying since literally the first game of the season i'm like hey if you're looking to hire a dc your first call should be marcus freeman i I think cincinnati i mean one of the best defenses in the country he's a really bright young guy really good recruiter i mean there's tons of reasons marcus freeman would be amazing but two reasons one if you're hiring him away from cincinnati you are paying him dave aranda money like that's just probably the reality and two i think he might be a a group of five head coach or a power five head coach this year i mean he's a hot commodity he's a rising star so you have that you know you have your I think honestly, one name that you know has been thrown out there by a few people. I don't know how realistic it is. It might not be realistic at all. But I've heard a lot of things about Ryan Nielsen, the Saints D line coach. Who yeah, I've heard it a couple times. <laughs> yeah, and he's obviously one of O's guys back at Ole Miss. So he's a guy who 
I mean, he might be an NFL DC coming soon. You know, I don't think that's far away. And, uh, and you know, he obviously has a lot of recruiting history and I believe he was a really good recruiter and has O connections. So he's somebody who I think they would have interest in, but I don't know how much interest he'd have. You know, I mean, I think he's going to have some pretty good opportunities in his career coming soon. So all of that is to say, I think LSU was genuinely vetting a lot of people right now on that front. So I don't know, but to get to your actual point, yeah, I think there needs to be some changes. I think, and just in terms of, the why, right? It doesn't have to, it doesn't, the change doesn't have to be in about the what because they did hire Joe Brady. They did hire a lot of really good coaches. It's the why, you know, and it's it can't be because you are honed in on one thing. And I think that goes both ways. I don't think you should be honed in on I want youth. I want yeah. I think it, yeah. it just has to be situational. You can't force you know it into like a square peg into a round hole or whatever. You know, you really have to like find the right guy. And yeah, I mean it's hard. It's it's hard because if you're proven you're going somewhere better and, uh, you know, getting a better opportunity at head coach or whatever. And if you're not proven, well, you're LSU. You don't want to hire someone not that proven. So it's a tough, it's a tough situation. Yeah. And uh, so it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of like you don't want to deal in absolutes. Like if you're dealing in absolutes, then you're setting yourself up to maybe Only miss a candidate. Exactly. Which obviously the irony there is that that's a, an absolute, but that's fine. <laughs> um, I've never ever thought of it that way. Wow. In fact, uh, the 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 downfall, the de- li- the literal like at the root of the downfall of the Jedi is be- that they got yes, exactly. They got so married to their like bureaucratic ideals and put the the politics and everything that yes, they became the absolutists that they were trying to avoid. So so you definitely don't want to be like he has to be young, he has to be this or that. I think those are more of guidelines. And I think I would make like a concerted effort to find a more young kind of up and comer. But again, as long as there is a an in-depth process that takes place, then I'll applaud it. The I mean, whatever. The hire's only going to be applauded if it works out. And and that's just how this works. And <laughs> By that's way, can just, I throw something else out? Th- oh, sorry. You no, were, no, no, no. Go on. Yeah, going. no, no, no. Well, I was just saying that. I mean, that's just how this works uh, at this point now because last year is applauded because, you know, what, look at what you had just hired if you were at Ogeron. So it's like, yeah, he's probably right again. Uh, now you don't get that benefit of the doubt. So you, you ultimately the results will be the only deciding factor. But you can't miss, dude. This is a massive, oh. massive... Yeah. moment because right now i mean this young talent makes lsu very attractive you win a lot of football yep. games over the next couple of years with the players that we've seen featured these last couple of games uh so you absolutely cannot miss what what, what were you gonna say a second ago well first off yeah i think you're absolutely right i mean ed ojan quite frankly i mean like you said he he had all the capital in the world 11 months ago and I'm not saying it's all gone. Most of it's gone right now. He does not have the power to be like, here's what I want anymore. You know, it's 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 gone, just quite frankly. And I'm not saying he is literally on the hot seat, but I'm not also saying that he doesn't need to get these hires right. That is a fact. He yeah. needs to show some clear improvement, get that locker room in order, and make the right hires right now. So, yeah, you'd be foolish to think that if they don't have another year like this next year, he's not in legitimate trouble. But anyway, no, uh, the other thing I just want to throw out there, it's actually like a kind of we're reverting back and it's not even about what we're talking about anymore, but we were talking about the defense. And I just wanted to say like, everyone, there's a lot of people out there being like, look at the improvement and Jabril Cox's quote, you know, got just torn apart on Twitter Saturday night and Sunday where he kind of said at our zoom press conference, he was like, I think these last few weeks should be proof that Bo Pelini's scheme works and that, you know, the future's bright and like that they finally have it how it's supposed to be. Yes. Some things got better. They had nine, nine turnovers the last two games against some, you know, good offenses. They did a lot of things better, but like you're saying, first off the, the per play stuff that didn't get better. It just did second off 
the Florida game, you gave up 609 yards of offense, 8.23 yards per play. And listen, I know you can play a lot of games with like, yeah, but look at what they did when they had Stingley and all these things. But listen, you're LSU first off. And the number one thing I will point to about like why I just don't think this was ever going to get much better and is that LSU always, almost always, I really can't think of any exceptions, always got worse in the second half on defense because teams were huh, able to yeah. just flat out adjust. It yeah. was just pretty simple. LSU played a great first half against Ole Miss. I actually, they gave up technically. No, like, that's uh, what I said at the show today. Like people are going to forget, but LSU's defense held the line early on they, for the I mean, offense. So they, they gave up points out. technically. So it looked like they got whooped, but like, no, they were controlling them. Like, that's just a fact. There was just like some weird plays that gave up some points. And then, yeah, in the second half, Ole Miss ran the ball at will. Yes, I understand some corners went down, but you got torched in a lot of ways. And it's just like, listen, it didn't get much better in an actual per play sense. Yes, you deserve credit for turnovers. Yes, you deserve credit for winning games because that is literally why you play football. But it didn't really get better in many ways. So, yeah, I I, I think the Bo Pelini era is over. And I think uh, I think that's valid. Yeah, Sorry, and, and, many, no, like a, and many no, back, no, 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 in many that. ways, in many ways, too. Um, you were winning. You were almost winning in spite of the defense. Like, like you, you, the, those yeah. turnovers were needed so badly because of how poor you have been on a per play basis. I mean, we're march into the red zone every drive. Yeah, Ole Miss could literally account for six turnovers and still be able to win the game. The one thing they, <laughs> like, the one thing they didn't account for was an eighteen-year-old freshman setting an SEC receiving record. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, let's, let's really drive that home. I really can't let that go. <laughs> They had a five to zero turnover ratio at one point and we're losing five to zero. That is, that is like impressive. You know, like it's hard to do. It's yeah. I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. It's the old anchor man. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you, buddy. It's the, 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 the air is at an end. Um, anything else on the coaching front before we dive into, we spent about 15 minutes now before we dive into the game itself. You know, not, not necessarily. I think, uh, I think the last thing I'll say is some of the stories you just heard coming out of this season are, are, are things that, listen, we've all talked about the locker room issues and some of those dynamics. We've all talked about the transfers, the opt-outs, all that stuff. But some of the stuff that I've just heard that you know I haven't written and just about some of these coaches and just kind of the surprising ineptitude, I think, is a part that hasn't really come out yet. And I don't know if it will. And I don't know if I'm really going to come out and like write a big piece on it, but I think some of these coaches who probably will not be back next year, some of the things you hear are just really surprising about <laughs> that. You know, they just don't necessarily, some of these guys are just teaching the wrong things and players have to go to another coach to check what's going on. You hear things just about, you know, some coaches just not recruiting <laughs> like, like, like they're supposed to. Uh, I, I think, and I say that in a actual positive way, if you're an LSU fan, you're listening to these things and you're like, well, what is a coaching change going to fix, you know, and all that. It's like, I think there will be, if you can make some decent hires, the improvement might be even more than you know. I think that's all I want to end that on. Ah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, like they were so <laughs> bad that the potential could actually be great. And I'm not even calling out coordinators, seems. by the way. I should actually clarify that. I think you. I've actually been most surprised with some of the things I've heard back from, you know, players, their families, other staffers about Pelini, for example, that like 
and I think I've said this on the show before that like I remember several like Jaqueline Roy like apparently like told his dad like his dad kept being like what's the deal with Bo and he's like listen it's not Bo's fault it's actually X person's fault and you know it's like there's oh, wow. a lot of things that actually people defend Bo more than you'd expect that like he's actually not necessarily I mean I don't think he's a great defensive coordinator I think it's time but you know all that is to say I think there's always more than we understand by the way there's way more than I understand that, that's going on behind the scenes and all that but I think some of the position coach stuff and stuff and the changes you're going to see are going to see more improvement on the field next year than you'd imagine wow okay well uh was, that, an, was that too much i know no 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 that was just no no that's that's I'm, I'm fascinated i always love uh trying to describe what is actually going on in the times when you were alive uh, it's an old dan carlin thing that i love it's like standing like six inches away from a billboard and trying to describe the picture right you have to get more and more distance from it until you really understand it, until the, all the information really comes out. So I am uh, excited to slowly back away from this billboard and watch this eventual picture of what went so wrong here in 2020 take place. And once people leave, that's when everybody on both sides starts talking. So, uh, <laughs> Especially in- if it's going to be turnover like this. Yeah. Yes. Intriguing times ahead. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, intriguing times at hand though, Brody, as the LSU Tigers, uh, beat old, the Ole Miss Rebels 53 to 48 in an insane affair, um, finished five and five, uh, this morning on my show, I called it a, 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 you know, a, a, a punching back of the cynicism that had enveloped my own life. There was a youthful naivete on display on Saturday, uh, and, and an exceeding of expectations that was really wonderful to watch all over the field. Um, and, and I guess why, why I say that is like this, this, this team in these last couple of games has epitomized a cliche that we all roll our eyes at, which is next man up, right? And it's something that I always respond very cynical with, like, there's a reason he's the next man. And that is true. That is true, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but in this case, whether this is the exception of the rule or not, in this case, uh, the next man up actually did the job and exceeded what you thought they were capable of in a ton of different areas. I mean, a great example of that uh, would be the running back room, right? I mean, no TDP, no John Emery. Uh, did Chris Curry end up getting hurt or was he just not playing because of how well Williams and Bradford were playing? 
I never saw him get hurt. I mean, I never saw him in the injury tent or anything. Okay, so as okay. Far as I well, know well, they just lean on those. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of guys, though, exceeding any realistic expectations you should have had for him, I mean, how about guys like Josh Williams, Trey Bradford making big plays throughout the second half? Like, that's the type of next man up mentality that was on display, that youthful, like, I don't know any better, so I'm just going to go do it. And maybe nobody embodied that more than the man who stood above it all, Kayshawn Boutte, SEC record, 14 catches, 308 yards, three touchdowns, literally doing things no Southeastern Conference player has ever done before. And Brody, what I love, I said this to you on the radio this morning, uh, it wasn't just... Uh, like I'm fast and you, I ran it deep and, and the quarterback bombed it to me. This was wet work. This was grindy. This was over the middle, breaking tackles, slant routes, stiff arms, busted plays here or there. It was, uh, it was incredible to watch. And here you had Kayshawn Boutte exceed. I mean, who would have ever imagined this kind of performance for him? And, and so that kind of, uh, stepping up way beyond your age and what your experience should dictate that was embodied by him, but it was really represented throughout the team on Saturday. I thought, yeah, I mean, there's so much we could say about booty, by the way. I mean, it was one of those, I mean, cause we knew he was fast, right? That was kind of his thing. He's one of the faster receivers in the country. We knew that we knew he was a good deep ball guy and all that, but seeing him like, I like the term wet work there. I, I mean, it really was those little nuances And it, it is. I said this on your show as well, but the part that really, maybe I buy too much stock in dumb little things like this, but the takeover level really, that does something yeah, for dude. me, you know? And it's, it's the thing I always used to write about Jamar chase. And it was Jamar chase is a freak athlete and he is all these things and he is polished and good and all that. But what made Jamar chase like special to me was the way that he would just like an ISO basketball score, like James Harden, just take over for a quarter, you know, would just like own the game and everyone knew it was going to him, but there was nothing they could do about it and just would keep going. That's what Sean Booty did, obviously. I mean, you don't get to 308 yards without doing that, but it was the way that it's funny. You didn't even know this, but, but yeah, no, he, he was hurt. I mean, he was injured. He left. Yeah. What? The game. He, went on, what? he went on to the, he was on the trainer's table with this, with a rolled ankle or a twisted ankle uh, before the final drive. And it was kind of like if he, if he was going to return and the way, the way he said it was, you know, he's like, hey, it's a tough game. I can't quit now. <laughs> and he came back out there. The entire now, field. Wait, now, getting- hold on. Now I just can't get away from this idea, this like Rambo idea of wet work, right? And here he was, <laughs> and he was like hurting, and he's done. Like, no way he can fight anymore. And he's just sitting there like smoking a cigarette in the rain. He's like, <laughs> God damn it. Give me my helmet. And then he goes back out there and gets the three bills to win the game. I mean, yeah, because everyone on that field knew he was getting the ball in that drive. It was a given. He still got that seven-yard gain, and then they get that little run, and then he catches that ball. And, I mean, your reaction on your, your live video was incredible, you and your buddies. But, like, it was it was <laughs> called being wild. very drunk and very happy because you're witnessing this dude just blow your mind live. I mean, we've seen a lot of crazy LSU plays, but there was something that was one of my favorites in, in the sense that it really was just one of those, like, old school like Gale Sayers he plays where it's like you get the 12 yard gain and you're tackled but then you actually spin out of the tackle and then you you run and you take off and like then you made like three guys run into each other and it was it was an all-time play and yeah I mean well and at the very end I broke I broke this down on Twitter as well I noticed it when the film rewatch at the very end the finish was so damn smooth because he has two guys on him as he's entering the end zone and he does that great thing where he doesn't get taken down so both them end up getting shrugged off 
He then puts the ball behind his back and then he just drops it. No celebration. Like at the time when he wins the game, goes for over 300 yards, SEC record, third touchdown of the day, no celebration. He drops the ball and just starts to walk off as everybody's going crazy. I mean, it was, that's that alpha takeover type of stuff that you're talking about right there. And it was as smooth as any finish that I've ever seen. And and it backs up so much I've kind of just gathered about him in the sense that like he's one of those guys that, you know, whatever all these rumors of different freshmen and sophomores thinking about leaving, it's like I people close to him have told me like he never even considered leaving, never even thought about it. Like he's like, I'm staying. And and you know that like when he when he came to LSU, I mean he was one of the top he was a five star receiver. And apparently he 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 told people he was just like, I just want to crack the rotation. You know, I just want to like see the field this year and kind of develop. Like he kind of has that that right mentality you you want. So I, I think it backs up a lot of him that he's just kind of like drops the ball. And I, yeah. I want to learn more about him because he's clearly confident, but I don't think he's like a trash talker. So there's a lot I want to learn, but I keep going back to this Jamar Chase comparison and not because I think he's going to be Jamar Chase, but we've talked about it on past pods. I said it on your show this morning. I've written about it, but I'm fascinated just in this, this that parallel of Jamar Chase what you know and Terris Marshall too didn't do much their freshman year. And it wasn't like they weren't stars. It was just kind of a, you know, had to learn some things about playing receiver, the speed of the game, how to deal with press coverage, like just those little nuances. They were a little bit just, like Kayshawn Butte was before Terrace Marshall Jr. left. Uh, exactly. And and I think it's just like, yeah, you just have to I think some of that things it just clicks eventually and you the game just slows down, right? And like you said, Kayshawn Booty did not really excel necessarily those first six games he played fine no one didn't look bad but then once Terrace Marshall went out I think it just a, a flip switch and it was like you got to be the guy now and since now he's ending the season on this just you know obviously dominant like 560 yard run in three games <laughs> but the chase parallel matters because chase everything all and everything that always came out of that freshman year was it clicked for him in bowl season and then he yeah. went it felt good and then he went into that first spring with Burrow and all those guys and just like went to a new level same with Marshall and I think that's going to be huge that Booty is ending this season looking as dominant as he is. He's ending with the confidence of, I can be one of the best receivers in the entire SEC. And now you have another year with Brennan or the freshman or whoever the quarterback is. And now there's no reason he shouldn't next year be like an elite, elite receiver. Yeah. And, and to your point, dude, the tear in the post Terrace Marshall Jr. era that Kayshawn Butte went on. Uh, and by the way, if you're hearing Brody say booty and me say Boutte, it is what it is. I, there's just covering I, our bases. I have. Yes, exactly. We're, we're like what? Exactly. The pod is making sure that at least one of us is correct. Um, but, but the tear that Keisha went on, I was shocked when I saw this this morning. So CFB stats.com is my favorite college stats site. I just say that just because I think like, if you're, if you like numbers, you should check them out. But I look at the 2020 LSU Tiger receiving stats and Kayshawn Butte finished the season as the leading wide receiver on the <laughs> team. Despite the fact that he played just three games without Terrace Marshall Jr., that 500-plus yard tear that he went on, he finishes with 45 catches, 735 yards, and five touchdowns. Terrace Marshall had 48 catches, 731 yards, and 10 touchdowns. So it was such an incredible tear that it actually ended with him being uh, at the top of the list, which I found to be pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it it really is in the context of the season, just 
pretty wild that, you know, Terrace Marshall was the best disco receiver. In like, okay, here we go. Weeks. This is what I was looking for. So here's a Keishon Butte game log. It's Mississippi State, one catch, six yards. Vandy, three catch, 46. Uh, Missouri, five catch, 49. Huh, wonder why the balls are being spread all around there. Oh, yeah, that's when Brennan was still playing. Uh, South Carolina, one catch, 19 yards. Auburn, two catch, 48. Arkansas, 331. A&M, three for nine. And this is where Terrace Marshall goes out. And Keishon's like, oh, I got to be the man now? Okay. Eight for 111 against Alabama. Five for 108 and one touchdown against Florida. And then culminating in 14 for 308 and three scores against Ole Miss. And what's wild about that is Alabama and Florida are good teams and good defenses. So what you saw there is that he's already good enough this freshman year to have success against the good teams. So when you put him against a bad defense and you tell him he's the man, look at what he just did to Ole Miss. If that doesn't get you so incredibly excited about his potential for next year, uh, nothing will. So shout out Kayshawn. I'm glad that we spent a lot of time with him today because he absolutely carried that team. It's like that old uh, Madden video. Greg Jennings put the team, put the team, on, his on his back. back. It was Kayshawn Boothe put the team on his back. And it was uh, it was just <laughs> he awesome. quite literally did yeah. And what and what Booty highlights isn't just about how good he looks, which is obviously important. It's this idea that the only thing that should matter about these two weeks, because by the way, these two wins should not overcloud how bad the season was. And you said that at the beginning of the show very well. It sh- the issues five and five is still a huge problem. Everything that happened is still big problems that need to be fixed. But what you should be taking out of these two games and what I support you taking out of these two games is that, yeah, you have something to cling to. And if you're at Ogeron, you have a selling point to, to these guys and to your, you know, your boosters and all that. And the people in the athletics department that, okay, that freshman class is ending the season on a, not just good. Like uh, that class looks like it has a chance to be like one of those elite classes. Yes. If things get handled right. And that, and that is what you need to cling to, that your freshmen and sophomores for two straight weeks have scored every point for two straight weeks against two good teams. Um, <laughs> and a lot of s- points, too. How much is 53 say, plus 37? I think it was 93 points between the two games or something like that. And on top of that, I mean, it's uh, Saturday. The stats were even more wild, where the leading passer, the top two rushers, and the top three receivers were all freshmen. Like, that is a, a wild, wild stat. So what you can point to now is that if you can, and it's going to be a big part of the re-recruitment of this team, is that if these guys all come back, you have an elite sophomore class coming in that is now going to be battle-tested, experienced. They've seen some shit. They they yes, actually have like yes. grown, which is I always, I am a broken record, but that's 2019 would not have been great without the growing pains of 17 and 18, and I think that's really No, but important. dude, you're so spot on. The difference that I felt, uh, and I whatever, I'll just speak from my own perspective, right? But like the difference that you feel uh, in starting year one versus starting year two is astronomical. You just carry yourself uh, with so much more confidence because you know you've been in the shit and you've proven that you can handle it. Like the fear of the unknown is no longer like, what if I can't do it? It's like maybe like how good I can be, or it's like we just got to win this game. Like it, it shifts, and then that's how you improve because you you kind of get rid of those base fears and you're able to move your focus onto bigger and grander things. And so this entire freshman class almost had like some sort of like confidence HGH just poured over them these last (laughs) few weeks where they've like kind of like hyper accelerated that growth process beyond anywhere where it should have been. And, and look in there that carried a lot of risk. 
Because in the same token, if you go out there and you get your ass kicked and you really weren't ready, then you can shatter your confidence. And it can go the complete opposite way. And sometimes you never see guys recover from that. So, like, they had to step up and make it happen. But now that they did, it is... And they've also seen what it takes in order to win at those highest levels. So, like, yeah, Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's like I said, out with Captain Kirk, in with Captain Picard, LSU, the next generation is ready to kick off. I mean, yeah, let's just break it down. I mean, like, if you are not, in a, we're not going to do this in a deep way, but look at the roster going forward. If they keep everybody, I'm sick of having to say that, but it's real. Okay, quarterback, you are going to have the best quarterback room LSU is. I mean, I don't think I'm exaggerating since what, the early 2000s? Like, in terms of just stability, I'm, guys might leave. It's quarterback. Yeah. But you have Miles Brennan, a, a true starter who's thrown for nearly 400 yards a game. And that was another year of just kind of, I don't know, growth, even though he's hurt. You have two backups and Max Johnson and TJ Finley who have both won two SEC football games as true freshmen. So they're going to get better. And we've talked about that at length before. So I'll let that go. But having that as backups is huge. And then you also have Garrett Nussmeyer, who might be the most talented of all four of these dudes. Top 100 quarterback, huge upside. He's a guy now who can develop probably for one year, if not more. So now all of a sudden you have stability there. Running back, who knows who comes back. You have Emery, Davis Price, and Trey Bradford looking like dudes. And you're adding two really good freshmen. Receiver, you, you love Kayshawn Booty. You like Koi Moore a lot. Dre Jenkins should be back. And uh, obviously some great signees coming in. You know, some top 100 receivers. Deion Smith, for example. Yeah. Tight end, Eric Gilbert coming back is huge. I mean, you want him back. He's the best tight end in the country probably next year. But Cole Taylor still looks like a good player. The big thing is offensive line. And offensive line's so tricky. And I know we've talked about this a ton before, but it's so tricky because the line didn't play particularly well this year. So it's not like you're like, we need these guys back, but you do. And Ed Ogeron has been saying nonstop this week about all the guys he's trying to recruit back. And he's been abnormally confident that guys are going to come back, which yeah. we'll see. Well, but- you know why, dude? He took him wow. for fried shrimp po' boys. Yeah, it's true. I, I and, and and everyone thinks I'm fucking. I'm fucking around. Excuse me, my daughter just got up. Everyone thinks I'm messing around here. But uh, on Friday, asked my wife, "Was I craving a fried shrimp po' boy or what?" I I've never had a craving like that in my entire life. But I read that headline. I could not get a fried shrimp po' boy out of my head when I ate that po' boy. The the mental transformation that went on inside of me was like a light switch had flipped. All of a sudden I was content. I was so happy. My entire perspective on the day changed. I'm not saying that it's a fried shrimp po' boy that's going to get Dare Rosenthal and Ed Ingram back to LSU alone, but I think it's like probably like at least worth 33% of their decision. <laughs> uh, but, but like, I mean, that that's the latest, right? Is that like maybe there's a little juice that Ingram and Rosenthal might be leaning towards returning. Yeah, no, that is the the juice. I like that. No, that is the, and that'd be a big surprise. I mean, Ed Ingram's listed by most sites as like the number five guard in the NFL draft, but you know, you know as well as I. Is that, that, is like, that true? I I I didn't know if I didn't know if maybe he Athletic got his had draft him at number four back. before the season, and then Kuiper had him number five or six list last week. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a good guard. He's got pretty good film, but it's not like amazing film. And yeah, you, well, I mean, that also he, does mean he has first round potential. Exactly. So, yeah. And that's the key. And that's like as much as people are like, 
Ed Ogeron can't keep players to stay at LSU and all that. But it's like, if a guy's a first or second rounder, you let him go. You just do. It's keeping the third, fourth guy, the fifth guys. Those are the guys you need to like make sure you're keeping. And yeah, Ed Ingram would probably be like a third round pick or something like that. And he's a guy with the talent to be a first rounder. You can convince him of that. Dan Rosendahl is a guy who we none of us think is NFL ready. We'd be foolish to think that. But he's got huge upside. Could probably kill it a combine. But he's got suspension issues, so you always kind of wonder, like, you know, same thing happened with Sadiq Charles last year where it's like, yeah, he probably should come back, but, like, does he want to come back and, like, have those, you know, hurdles again and, like, not be able to live your life? Who knows? So having those back, though, sorry, it was an unnecessary tangent. No, you're right, though. No, you're right. This is everything that goes into these decision-makings. And also Austin Deculus is a great example because, like, that dude is a – Three and a half year starter. Yeah. So it's like if you don't have stock yet, are you ever going to? You know. So well, it's he's like, he's the opposite end of the spectrum where you can't be like, hey, you'll be a first round pick potentially if you come back. It's just like, is he ready to start the next portion of his football exactly. journey or not? Because he That's will a be a borderline it. NFL guy. Um. Uh, maybe he could work at guard on the next level. Like, like yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say that he like couldn't make a practice squad or, or or catch on a roster somewhere because I think he has that potential. But that is the NFL uh, lane that I think he's going to exist in. So he just has to kind of decide. And it's hard when you've been at it that long. It's hard. It's like Andre Anthony, right? What does Andre Anthony want to do? Do you want to come back for one more run at this thing and deal with like Moffitt and school and all that for another year or? <laughs> Um, you know, or, 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 or do you maybe just want to take the next step? So I mean, really LSU would ideally just want to re-recruit everybody. Like, like they would, they would want everybody yeah. back and I'll be impressive to see who they can land or I'll be, uh, intrigued to see who they can land. Yeah. Like Racy McMath's one, you probably really want to come back for a lot of reasons. You know, yeah. You just want some Liam Shanahan's another, like, of course you'd love to bring him back, but does he want to come back for a sixth year of college after already having a Harvard degree and stuff like that? So yeah. But anyway, our our overall point here was there's no reason the offense, because also the big, even as much as we're talking about re-recruiting guys, the line just needs to get better and they need to, those guys who would come back, they would need to get better. Those redshirt freshmen who have been a huge disappointment, your Cardell Thomas, who knows if he's back or Anthony Bradford, guys like that, they need to get better. The current freshmen, Xavier Hill, Marlon Martinez, Marcus Dumerville, yep. they need to actually get better because yep. if no one gets better, none of it matters. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So how do you feel about the offensive line this year? Because I'm, I don't know if I'm on that they weren't very good or they were just like truly kind of average. They were a roller coaster, and that that's a great question because I, I would consider them a roller coaster. There were games yes. where I would call them flat out bad, and there were games where they looked flat out good. Yeah. And the aggregate, yeah, average is probably the answer. No, but you're but right. Would, it was it was very feast or famine to reach that average. It wasn't like you were average every game. You're right. It was it was kind of an all or nothing affair with them. And and that's the thing. It's like so frustrating. Uh, not frustrating at anyone's fault, but I have such a hard time debating the offense. And like you know, we're talking about staff changes. A lot of people think Steve Ensminger might be gone, and and a lot of people being like, "Good, they need to change there." Scott Linehan, like, which is my favorite thing when people are like, "Scott Linehan needs to go." As if you have any idea what the passing game coordinator does, but still, I'll ignore that. But um, the the thing is, it's like sucks it's hard to talk about touchdowns. the offense because what what's that? Sucks at passing touchdowns is what he does. Nailed it. But the thing I always have to say is, like, I don't know how I can judge oh, no. the offense. Oh, no, Alice. It's okay. I love you. I'll see you soon. Oh, hi, Alice. Bye, Alice. Did she not like my takes no, on Steve? My wife, my wife just took her out the room, and she just completely lost it. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Who knows what Lynn – like, But what I was going to say is the, it's so frustrating talking about the offense because it's like, okay, people are criticizing Steve Ensminger for all these things, and it's like – yeah, but and some of it falls on the staff and the play calling and scheme. I mean, you could explain this better, but it's like the offense played terribly when the line played terribly. It was that yeah. simple, and you had two true freshmen, and it was all these things. So it's like, anyway, sorry. I no, mean, no, my point I, is like the I offensive line wasn't at. good enough. That yeah. is my answer. Yes, uh, I think also what you're getting at though is that for as the the, the look the, the criticism of the offensive coaching staff is very nuanced because in many ways they did a, a spectacular job having a freshman quarterback in an offensive line that was struggling and still producing yardage and points despite that. I mean, literally everybody, like you said, everybody who scored the last two weeks were freshmen and sophomores. And that's behind an inconsistent O-line. So that is, um, they deserve to be commended for that. I, I think, unfortunately, maybe it's just that the expectations have gotten so high that yep. it's impossible to shine bright enough versus where you were at last season. And then there were areas of, while things are really good, uh, there were areas that took a bit too long, maybe to adjust. Now they made the adjustments, right? Like the what, like they, the 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 hurry up third and short zone, yeah, is out now, and in is the QB sneak. I think it took a little too long to get there, but I still give them credit for getting there. And they did some other really creative things this last game. And really, this is what to me is yeah. the most impressive part of Max Johnson is. Max Johnson maybe actually doesn't have the best arm. He's a little inaccurate. The balls don't look good. Now, granted, it was terrible conditions the other night, so that was a huge influencing factor. But what he does have are the intangibles that you really like. And the stuff that has impressed me the most in his last two starts has been his management of high-pressure situations. Yeah, He's very even keel. You never see emotion change. And you kind of get that smoothness throughout the entire team when he's running those operations and a perfect example are the couple of late half scores on fourth down that LSU had in this game 
where first off for two weeks in a row now he's been great at the end of halves in the end of games so he's like really thrived in the high pressure situations but on both fourth down touchdowns go watch the replay they do this really smooth little muddle huddle sort of thing where it's almost like they're acting a bit like everybody's acting real nonchalant kind of loosely huddle kind of looking towards the sideline they get the play but then out of nowhere well, actually, it's funny. They don't even like run to the line to get the defense sweating it. They just move quickly, like under control, but quickly to the line and quick snap it. And twice, Ole Miss wasn't lined up at all, was very confused, and it led to back-to-back fourth-down touchdowns. And a lot of that was you know, due to the guy who is setting the tone there, which is the quarterback that's running the operation. And so I was very impressed with that little wrinkle from the offensive staff and then by extension Johnson's ability to execute on the wrinkle. So the offensive staff did a lot of good. It's just that maybe in the context of where LSU's offense is and where people want it to be nowadays, it just wasn't good enough. Yeah, no, I think it's a good way to put it. And listen, I I am also a believer that sometimes like, by the way, I think we firmly agree with everything you're saying that like Edsbinger is a good offensive coordinator. And I think if you think he's bad, like your, your expectations are just kind of silly. I'm sorry. I do. But, but yeah, by the way, you're LSU. You're supposed to be winning championships, supposed to be competing for championships. If you decide you need a change and you, and it's, you know, 2020 and you need to have the sharpest offense to be good. Like I'm not going to criticize LSU for that. Like you can be great. So try to be great. That's fine. I'm not going to criticize that, but yeah, I I think he did a good job. And and by the way, this is a completely unimportant thing, but I want to say about Max Johnson, and I don't even know if he's going to start for another two years or ever, you know, I really don't know if he ever starts another game at LSU. Yeah. But yeah, but because he doesn't have the greatest arm and you say that, but what I'll say about him is the same Joe Burrow did not have a very good arm, especially if you watch his 2018 deep balls and stuff like that. You're like, okay, shouldn't never throw a deep ball, but and my dad would probably slap my ass <laughs> because like there is, he has raised me like drilled it into me that there's nothing more overrated than a quarterback's arm. I mean, Thank it you. is all about so, accuracy, decision-making. Thank you. And so you're you get into the intangibles. You're setting it up because I think, but what's important and when you look at 2018 Burrow and 2019 Burrow is it's as you develop, it's as you get your footwork, it's as you get like a certain poise and composure and understanding of your offense that you are making stronger, more confident throws downfield. So you don't need a strong arm because Max Johnson's deep ball so far, if we're just being honest about it, are kind of just like, ah, offense is getting weird. And he just like chucks up a floater down things float up there. Yeah, they weren't like, I'm making a confident throw downfield. No, no, it was kind of like, ah, fuck it. All right. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly what it is. It's it's the end of a shot clock chucking up a three. Yeah. And and yeah, so um Burrow, once he got them, by the way, I didn't know Burrow's confidence in 2019 was a whole different thing, but still, that's proof of it's not about your arm strength. It's more about confidence in your throws. So Max Johnson, by 2022, for example, might be a really nice deep ball thrower. It's an yeah, un- and, completely and, unnecessary and, and, and he does, and he does have that. confidence. He does have confidence elsewhere, too, because he, you, yeah. we've seen his touch throws, right? Like, he likes really nice operating touch. over the middle now if he can get the edges. He has good feet. Too. That's a really good point. That's why I went, oh, in the middle of your Ooh. breakdown, because that's that's something that is always overlooked with quarterback play is footwork. And I yeah, thought he really he shined. Game. Yeah, he, and, and he shined again there uh, in this game. Um, okay, uh, so we spent a lot of time on the offense. Um, we, we, we talked about what we want on the defense going forward, but I do want to give some credit to some guys yeah. Uh, here in the interim. I thought that for the second week in a row, 
Jaquel and Roy really kicked ass. Uh, really, I want to highlight the whole defensive line because they had almost no rotation and huh. everybody um, just, I mean, it was, it was, it was an, it was a full effort affair on that D line. I'm not saying they were always the most successful, but they did wreak a lot of havoc in the past game and they out efforted. They out hustled old misses offensive lineman for a lot of big plays. Uh, when, when I'm looking at, let me, let me see what I had highlighted for Roy. Uh, okay. So a great effort on the second Jay Ward pick. Watch Jaquil and Roy. He, he bench presses this offensive lineman. The offensive lineman kind of trips. They both fall on the ground. Roy hits <laughs> like a grass drill, pops right back up. O-lineman's not even to a knee yet. He hits a, he hits corral. It turns into a pick. Um, on the big three and out, when you were down 48-46, when you had to have it, he initially he made a stop to make it second and nine. Penalty made it first 15. Then on second and 12, he comes up with a big stop for no game, fighting through a double team. That then sets up Neil Farrell for the big sack on third and 12, where you could see all these D linemen running their ass off despite the fact they were exhausted. Just another nice game from Roy. <laughs> um, B.J. Ojolari. Had uh, some nice pressures. He's the one that forced to pick the Cox. Andre Anthony continues to be my favorite breakout story of the entire year. He's only gotten better. He should have forced a safety. Uh, he absolutely got held in the end zone, like uh, 100%. Yeah. I would turn that into the league. Um, and then he followed that up, beginning a sack on third and 14. And then Ali Gay, man. Um, we have witnessed some great growth out of Ali Gay where he started really good and then he kind of took a step back and he had to improve. And first yeah. off, his effort, like everybody else in the D-line, was spectacular this game. Um, and, and obviously the interception is just like super athletic and badass. But really what I've loved is, and it's still not perfect, but seeing the improvement that he has made against the run as the year has progressed. Because yep. he was horrible early on and he still gets PT outside. There's still some times where he could be better, but he was much better this game. And I felt like that improvement culminated in that final force fumble where it was great recognition, great technique, great effort when he was fully spent and he managed to punch that ball out and, uh, and, and make the play that his team needed to win. If he returns, he too could be someone that I think has a uh, first, second round potential. Yeah, no, I think I was actually going to say that. But yeah, Gay is somebody who, yeah, the thing about that final game winning sack was it was, you know, like you said, it was the effort level, right? It was the, that play was broken. It was kind of like almost over and Mackerel made a miss like twice and he came down and made that play. That's huge. But yeah, no, the defensive line play great. You leave this season thinking Jaqueline Roy is, I mean, he's, I'm granted we left, we left last year thinking this is going to be Apuaika, but, but Jaqueline Roy ends the season looking like he's going to be like an absolute dude in 2021. Yes. Um, Bijo Jalari. Did you you hear the story about Roy before the Florida game? What O said? It's kind of just like one of those fun little like origin type moments. I don't think I have. Um, he said on off the bench, uh, thanks for listening, Brody, where, um, I'm I'm just kidding. Uh, so before the Florida game, I guess the team was like taking this walk down to the stadium or something or down to somewhere. And Roy kind of went off on his own and like walked his own path and it took a little longer. And, and I was like, you know, Hey, like Jay, like what's up, dude? Like, why'd you do that? And he basically said like, tonight is going to be different. Like I'm, I'm going to do something like special tonight. And then he went and had that Florida game and now he went and had this game. So you mentioned clicking for freshmen. I think it is clear that, Sometime after that Alabama game, it clicked for Jaquelin Roy.
Well, thanks for giving me the off-season feature material. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, no, him, B. Joe Gelari. We, we've known B. Joe Gelari was this good the whole time, but if yeah. but, I mean, he's he's only going to get better in year two. And you are at a point now where also you're getting more pretty good. At, and we'll see what happens with Savion Jones, but you're still getting some good edge rushers in this 2021 class. So your defensive line, yes, you're probably losing. You're losing Logan most likely, and Farrell. It seems like he's actually debating. So. Regardless, your defensive line in 2021 should be really stout. Your secondary is going to be interesting because corner should be elite in 2021 between yeah. Stingley, Ricks, Ward, the I guys talking coming about in. Jay Ward in a second, but yes, continue. Yeah, Jay Ward's just become a guy that will make mistakes, but you just want on the field. That is where I'm at with yeah, him. Playmaker. He's just like your scrapper. Like obviously the Arkansas game. Well, he's going to get beloved more for the Florida game, but the Arkansas game was actually the one where like, he made just like some gritty man plays. Uh, that's Yeah, weird. no, no, no. So let's dive into Jay Ward right now then. So Fine, shout out man. to a response from Jay Ward where he gives up the first touchdown. He then comes back a couple drives later, massive pick six to give LSU the 10-7 lead. Really kind of set the tone for the remainder of the game. And like you said, Arkansas had the huge tackle for loss on third down to force the game-tying field goal attempt, then blocked the game-tying field goal to win the game. He had the massive pick against Florida. Now the pick six this game. He Yes, you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, he will get beat at times, but his playmaking ability uh, and like game-winning plays at that uh, makes up for it. Yeah, so now you're between those three and also flots of you know, Flot's fine. I don't think Flot's a guy. I think Flot will, in theory, get better. I don't think he's good. I don't think he's bad. I think Flot's, you know, okay. He Either was way, a victim of four, expectation. Four, the important thing is having four genuinely experienced corners right there. Yeah. That's, that's pretty big for any team. Uh, so you have those guys. Your cornerback room should be elite. Safety, though, is going to be fascinating because Tolls did not progress like you expected him to. And he doesn't seem happy, as we all know. And well, just from some posts he's put on social media, I should say. And so safety is weird. You're losing Jacoby Stevens, Mo Hampton. I don't know if he'll be around next year, but you are bringing in one of the better like safety classes I've ever seen. In terms, it's just bizarre that you're bringing in Sage Ryan and Derek Davis, who I never ever like predicting this with freshmen. But it doesn't seem crazy to think you're playing two true freshmen next year, which is not ideal for 2021. But those dudes seem like they are like top tier talent. So you can get away with playing freshman at safety. That has been proven yeah, in the uh, yeah. yeah in the LSU Eric Reed back in the day, Tyron Matthew. Ooh. It is yeah so uh, long proven. DB should be really talented, and I think the questions for me really just come at linebacker next year, where it's okay. Damone Clark, I know he looked better against Florida, but oh, I but he struggled really big... bad again, like his one yeah, drive exactly. this game. Thank you. <laughs> you said it's I didn't have to. So <laughs> I just don't think you can realist. I w- you want him in your rotation, but I don't think you should have any real confidence in Damone Clark right now. I would make Basket- him back into a pass rusher. Honestly, I don't. I don't know. Ooh, I, I love know. that idea. That's a one. I actually love that idea. So I hadn't thought of that. Um, then Micah Baskerville, you assume is back because he's not necessarily an upside guy. <laughs> he's a, he's a quality linebacker, so I think you'd be happy to have him back. But Jabril Cox is gone, so you are in a a tough spot because again, we always oh, we're broken records here. Josh White and Antoine Sampa, you would hope will progress next year. You would hope that if they're because they are guys who are big recruits, but at the same time. You are a little discouraged that with all the linebacker issues, they never broke through. That is a bit of a red flag. They never did. So you're really hoping you see well, some improvement wait, there. Are you, did, did you mention old bug? Did I miss it? I was getting there. Oh, okay, okay, my bad, my bad, my bad. So the guy to watch, though, is, of course, Navantecu strong or bug strong, however you want to call it. Is it Navantecu? I thought it was Navantec. Uh, his coach told me it was Navantecu. 
Wow. How uh how Shakespearean. It's very yeah, that's, uh, that's House Navantique and House Capulet. <laughs> uh but yeah, okay. number one junior college linebacker in the country, a thumper who, you know, by the way, he's he's playing like Mississippi Juco ball, which is so he's playing D one athletes pretty much every week. And he was lining up against receivers and coverage. So there's a lot of reasons, and also his coach talked about him like changing calls on the field and just a really smart player and you never want to run away too much with that coach speak stuff you hear but there's a lot of reason to believe and lsu believes because they pushed really hard for him late in the cycle that he could be a guy who uh, i mean come run away with this year. his name is bug strong i want my inside um, linebacker do you want me to read the bug quotes strong. yes yes give me the quotes yeah. Um, you did you read the story? I forget. No, 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 no. Ah, uh, I haven't. I haven't read it yet. I, I, I was. I, 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 it's good to hear you didn't read it because I was a little shocked that you didn't tweet it out after these quotes because <laughs> oh this is like God, some dude. serious T Bob stuff. Okay, okay, yeah, hit me with it. Hit me with it. There was a stretch in the story where I just literally listed five straight quotes because they were so good. Uh, his DC former Mississippi State coach said. He's a war daddy. He was my motherfucker. Um, we'll see if that gets beeped out. Um, Jadarius Perkins, who's probably going to play D1 football, said, that's my dog. It's the reason I came to Gulf Coast to play line, play with a linebacker like him. That boy is a headhunter. Um, his high school coach said, when Bug hit somebody, it was just different. When he hit them, they immediately were going backward and down. Shufelt said, I don't want to say he's mean, but, he, man, he is violent when he tackles. And here's why. <laughs> but, no, here's the best one. Strong, who I didn't get to talk to, but he told the Bluxy Sun Herald, it feels good to take the life out of another man and not get in trouble for it. Oh, my God. Yes. Man. Yes. That is like so, the program. That is exactly what I want out of my middle linebacker. That makes me so happy, dude. Yeah. So that dude sounds like he's going to come in right away and if if not start play. So, but anyway, linebacker, sorry. I'm all over the place today. Not my best podcast. No, 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 no. Linebacker is my only question in 2021 because everything else I think should be pretty good. As as the uh, resident uh, radio expert today, Brody, I think you've done a great job. Actually, I think you're (laughs) really critical of yourself. Thanks. Um, Thanks, All right. Uh, Anything else that I wanted to. Oh, okay, Okay. We have to mention special teams because there's a huge part of this win. Massive. Uh, First off, the play by Zach von Rosenberg to dodge a free runner. So LSU's offense come out and goes three and out. Ole Miss should have blocked this punt for almost what should would have been a touchdown, like almost assuredly. Uh, Zach von Rosenberg jukes the block with a little like, like faint, a little fake kick, then runs to his left, booms it with the left foot down to the Ole Miss 25, dude. So did it just get off the pump, but then hit a bomb? I mean, it was a huge value play from CPR. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to almost kind of be a little concerned that we're at a point where I think like three times in the past like two or three weeks you've had those issues with their their cover, you know, with their punt blocking. But uh, but no, yeah, Zach von Rosenberg has had to do that twice this year where he's made some not not as beautiful as that one. That was a, a it was legitimate. Perfect, yes, this one was just like perfectly executed. What was the term? A, a juke and nuke. Um, but <laughs> yeah, but. That, so he's had to do that like twice in the last few weeks. So it's actually been like a real impressive thing. And it is a bummer. And I just want to say this just for like, because we won't ever talk about him again, I imagine. But he probably was the front runner for the Ray Guy Award, or at least in the top three. And then he gets banged up against AM and has a pretty bad game against Bama. And, you know, indications are he's not going to win the Ray Guy now. But it's kind of a shame because, I mean, especially in those weeks where the offense was not looking good, especially midseason, early in the season, he was like keeping LSU in games single handedly. That's yeah. not an exaggeration. LSU would be at like their own 15 and he'd punt balls down to the 10. Like it was 
legitimate how LSU has one of the better field position ratings in in the country, or at least they used to. And that's that's wild considering how bad they're off. Yeah, they're number 18 in field average field position on defense because of the special team. So he was actually amazing, and you got to give credit for him for that because his career's about to end he'll probably play in the nfl but he's been a pretty elite punter and then yeah i'm sure you were also going to get to cade york cade york is now he hit another 50 yarder in terrible conditions saturday oh wow he was is it a 50 el- yarder i didn't realize he had another 50 oh my god yeah, and it was kind Not of a needed one at the time. yeah yeah every kick so, was needed they, yes yeah yeah wow so yeah i mean he's at a point now where he is it's safe to say in a an elite kicker. I mean, he's probably the front runner for the Lou Groza next year. So, I mean, yeah, really kind of, statistically, he was elite after year one. It's just that we had seen true. the kind of speed bubbles in the middle where it was like, ah, this could still maybe go either way. But no, he has put any conversation there to rest. I mean, four of four in the driving rain. I didn't even realize. Uh, I, I, I didn't even realize that one of those was 50 yards. All right, all right. Talk, Brady. I'm about to look up his percentage from 50 yards now in his career. <laughs> How do you pull that up? Anyway, but yeah, no, I mean, LSU, Greg McMahon's gotten a little flack, I think, for different reasons in the last week or two, which I found interesting because LSU, since he's taken over, has been like top five every yeah, isn't year. It, wait, team. isn't it incredible? Or isn't that like the one good thing that they've been this year? Yes. No, you're absolutely right. And also, Greg McMahon, give him some credit. He's a good recruiter because first off, I would imagine like landing the best kickers and punters is probably a tricky world. Like finding Cole Tracy at, at, at Assumption College or landing Cade York, you know, or out of Texas and guys like that. Now they have the number one punter in the country and he gets credit for land, some credit for landing Mason Smith. So yeah, no, I think that's his, it's his region. So yeah, I don't think you want to get rid of Greg McMahon. Some people are insinuating that and who knows, maybe he will, but Greg McMahon has had LSU as one that this year they took a drop down to 16, but I think some of that also falls on, the Zach von Rosenberg bad punting game. And I think they're still trying to figure out punt return. It really has been just a weird unit for them. For well, years, okay. But. So let's talk about punt return then. And sorry, I can't find the Kate York number. Okay, uh, let's talk about punt return. Though. I think it's like 10 of 12 though, from 50 plus in his career, which it's is wild. absurd. Um, Coy Moore. So I kept wondering, you know, why isn't Trey Palmer back there, right? He has returns and touchdowns. Well, I thought that Core Moyer, who, by the way, Coy Moore had a really good game offensively that was also just overshadowed by Butte, because of course it was. But I really like the way that he played. He gets the ball. He gets upfield. But his, the hidden yardage that he stole at the end there, <laughs> catching that punt, it validated Greg McMahon's choice to have him returning punts. I mean, go and really watch the replay of after Ole Miss goes three and out 48-46 and they punt the ball. Watch the conditions in which Coy Moore catches this ball. It is driving rain. You can't see anything. He catches it on the run, almost like it's a pass. If he doesn't get it, it looks like it's going to bounce to like the 15 or the 10 or something. And then he manages to return it to midfield, basically. It was between that and the ZVR play. Those are two, uh, on top of all the K-Jork field goals, those are two game-winning plays right there. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I don't have anything to add. But yeah, no, special teams was actually a really big part of this win. Uh, I, yeah, I think the punt return stuff is always interesting because there's the part of everyone that wants like a superstar playmaker at punt returner. And there's also the part that's like you need somebody who's just going to catch the ball. Yeah, and get like get the necessary yards. You know what I mean? Like it's efficiency versus explosiveness because Derek Stingley, we all have seen like those moments where he's like a, he could be an exceptional punt returner. 
but at the end of the day, like he hasn't really been a success there for you know, these two years. So yeah, no. I think it's no. I think I think the and then with the injury stuff, I think you just probably move on from it's that. It's just not worth it. Yeah. Other special team stuff. Uh, Nick Stores with the open field oh, tackle. Yeah, How about I'm, it, dude? How about it? And shout out to LSU baseball Twitter because I I hate to give LSU social media credit because you know I don't want to seem like a homer, but that was an amazing tweet where they 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 posted the video and they're like. Do not rush the mound on Nick Storrs because obviously he's an LSU baseball player. Oh, I didn't even see that. That's excellent. And then um, Avery Atkins had a big tackle on the last kickoff, dude. Yep. He really did. That was his old safety roots coming back out. I think he hurt himself because when he – well, I don't know. When he was going off the sideline, he was really holding his shoulder and people were trying to dap him up and he was like waving him off. Yeah, but it was a tight play still. And uh, while this wasn't an LSU play, the Jerry Jerry Neely kick return for a touchdown was beautiful. I mean, the courage, the the courage to take it from so deep, the hesitation at the beginning, and then the vision at the end. That was that dude's just a freak athlete. Is it it the wrong reaction from this game to continue thinking like, man, I don't, I think Lane Kiffin's going to have Ole Miss like maybe not rolling, but. They're not going anywhere, you know. No, Lane Kiffin. No, no. I mean, I, I think they're going to be good. Yeah, they I, I want think. some big recruiting battles this week. It's it's pretty wild how like does Ole Miss slot into basically where Auburn slot is now, Whoa. right? If like because Auburn seems like with their recruiting class, that they're maybe on the edge of falling off here. That's and, true. You probably won't feel that for two years, but yeah, no, you're right. Uh, Everything going on, their coaching search, and it seems like they're scaring off some pretty major candidates with all the drama going on there. Yeah, I love it. I love a hot take. I mean, I'm, it's Auburn, so I'm never going to rule them out. They're always going to be good, but I love it. Yeah, no, I think Ole Miss is probably the four spot. I love that Texas A&M just had this legendary season, and they're not going to get a playoff appearance. <laughs> Can I say something on that? <laughs> I'm actually not <laughs> – Sorry, yes, you can. Now go ahead. Bro. What are you laughing at? Uh, I'm laughing at AM. Oh, you're laughing at AM getting screwed? Yeah. Okay, okay. Absolutely. I got to say, though, <laughs> by the way, this, this, this whole playoff situation was just a bummer. So I understand. Like, there was probably no perfect world that this was going to work. Like, Notre Dame shouldn't, you know, like they beat Clemson and then they lost to Clemson. So they shouldn't, like, fall out. And Ohio State, it's like they simultaneously should and shouldn't be penalized for only playing six games. But, and I don't even think AM is one of the four best teams in the country. I don't. But it is such a bummer, like a deep, deep bummer if you're an AM fan yes, because I love they that. went n- wait nine and one, right? <laughs> eight eight one in the end, uh, but they would have been yeah, nine went, and one. Okay, okay, eight and okay, you're right. So uh, let's, I mean, eight and one in the SEC. If you go eight and one in the SEC, that means you, okay. Let's just be honest. That means they would have gone eleven and one, right? Yeah, like they would have in a normal twelve game season. So going eleven and one in the SEC and not making the championship, that's getting you into the playoff. Yes. Ninety five percent of years, right? Yes, like exactly. they did everything they should have done. <laughs> they lost to Bama by a lot. But guess what? Everyone lost to Bama by a good amount of like they it, it is such a bummer in their sense because yeah. They basically got punished for playing. They beat Florida because they beat and again, Florida. I, they smashed LSU. Yes, exactly, and yeah, and like it's frustrating because. Oh, by the way, I again, I am not claiming Ohio State Notre Dame shouldn't be in, but just odds of how football works and all these things. If Ohio State and all these teams, if they played, if everyone played twelve games, just realistically speaking, chances are at least one of those teams would have lost one more game, right? Like, yeah. I, I is that naive to say? No. Like, that's just how it works. Uh, no, not Ohio so State did not look great against any other year. A and M gets in. 
Yeah. So it's just a bummer yes. that they really did put together the best season in God knows how long, and it's I, not going to matter. I love it so much, dude. I feel like you were trying to be nice there, <laughs> but you could not have twisted the knife any better. Like, I could not have said it any better myself. So excellent job, Brody. Miller. I don't think we have any AM listeners. <laughs> I mean, I agree. Ooh, ooh, I kind of love it, dude. Because the playoffs are a bit like the Final Four now, where an appearance matters. Like, even if you don't win anything oh God, there, yeah. just being able to say, I've made it to the college football playoff is huge, especially because they're just like, well, it's we're just going to fight the same teams every year. Um, all right. It's I like think- how IU can't say I went to New Year's Six. <sighs> dude, I can't believe Indi- uh, Indiana didn't get New Year's Six. That's such bullshit, dude. I can't. I can't. I they can't. got actually hosed, like a, a deep, deep level of hosed. Yes. But you know what? No, they did. They did. But Whatever. I guess, and now, sadly, that's where, do you just revert to like, that's just being an Indiana fan? It's yeah, like it's absolutely. like even it's like even when y'all got it right on the field, the football gods just conspired to fuck you. It yeah, sucks. Wow, beautifully said. I'm sorry, dude. By the way, is our longest pod of the year? It is, but but it makes sense, right? A lot to talk. Season about. ending. Yeah, season ending pod, and we are at the. Uh, we're just there's there's a lot going on here, um, but that will do it for us. On the Hold That Podcast podcast, remember take advantage of the great deals that you heard uh, at the beginning of this show. Um. Buy your meats at Abear Specialty Meats in the Bocage location. I am T by Bear. He is Brody Miller. And we will see you uh, next week on the Hold That Podcast podcast. So, and I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about, or maybe we won't. We'll see. Uh, see you then. All right. Bye.